Welcome to Life Source Church. We are so glad you found us. We hope that you will experience God with us as you hear the preaching of the word. Really enjoyed that music this morning, both services. Uh, what a great blessing it is. You got great music. I check you guys out on the web, like everybody does that comes to a church, right? First time you got to check them out. I didn't hear the music, so now I got to hear the music. That's awesome. Um, I've known your pastor since I was 20. I'm 61, okay? So that's like, he was young and had hair then, all right? Now, I didn't say that on the television live stream thing, but you guys are kind of getting the inside dope. I knew him and Glenda when they were just... He's really not, but maybe a year or two older than me, but I always looked up to him. You know, like when you're in high school and the guy's in college, like he is really cool. That's what Walt is. And he has always been that way to me. And uh, he moved up here to New England. I stayed in Springfield, Missouri. Eight years ago, I moved to Boston Baptist College and uh, I'm the vice president there and I teach doctor and I teach the, the book of Romans too. So, hey, how lucky is that? And uh, I'm really excited to be here and to uh, share with you and to just, you know, the coolest thing, I've got the best job in the world. I get to talk to people about God. How cool is that? You know, like if you take tolls, that's cool. You know, you get to handle all that money. Not really. But uh, I get to talk to people about God. So we're going to talk about the book of Romans. Uh, let me kind of start. Can I do like a four minute review on the book of Romans? Like what, what you've probably seen from Pastor Walt. Chapter one talks about sin. What a great way to start a bestseller off by talking about sin, how bad we are. How do you win an audience right off the bat like that? He talks about Gentile sin. And if you read like the back half of the first chapter of Romans, this is not like your normal everyday he stole cookies kind of sin. This is bad stuff. And that's the Gentiles. Well, in chapter two, the Jews are like, we are so much better than Gentiles. And he says, oh, who gives you the right to judge? You do the same thing. And so he, he moves against them, Paul does, uh, for their self-righteousness. And sometimes being self-righteous can be more difficult to find God because you're kind of proud in who you are. Do you know people in, a, in New England that are kind of, they're this religion and that's, I'm good, you know? They don't need God. And boy, he's, he comes down on them. In chapter three, we've all sinned and come short of the glory of God. There's none righteous, no, not one. There's actually 16 verses of specific sin that Paul lays out against all men that they're sinning. But in chapter four, we become justified by faith through Jesus Christ. He came to be not only the Messiah, but also the savior of the world. He gave us two examples. Paul writes this great example. He actually enlarges the book of Galatians in this uh, idea of justification in the book of Romans, uh, because the theme of Romans is definitely the gospel. And in the, the fourth chapter, he gives us two examples. Examples. One is Abraham, of course, the father of the Jewish race. I mean, he's the blue blood. If he got saved by faith, then every Jew should say, that's the way you should be saved. But he also gives Rahab, the harlot, the Gentile who got saved, who and finds herself in the genealogy of Jesus Christ. Isn't that cool? Because we're all saved by faith. We're all justified. So we all get saved in chapter four and in chapter five. We have no condemnation. I mean, there is like, we have this relationship with God and there are six ties or chains that uh, Schaefer used to always say that bind us to Christ. Uh, love and joy and peace. And then uh, later on chapter five, well, you know, in, in five, eight, it says that 
uh, he manifested or, or uh, demonstrated his love to us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. But more, much more than that, and that's one of those cool six chains, much more. If, he, if we're saved by his death, we'll be saved by his life. And he begins to work through like what richness we have in Christ, what position we have in Christ. And so in the sixth chapter, he addresses this thing that everybody says, oh, well, if it's so easy, if it doesn't involve any works and it's all by faith and all by grace, well, you're just gonna use that for fire insurance. If you don't have to work for it or work to keep it, it'll just be, you'll just live any way you want. And he begins chapter six, verse one, by saying, what shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? Like if we sin more, God's grace, we get this free ticket to live however we want. And he goes, no, no, God forbid. How are we that are dead to sin or the consequences of sin being judged against us for our eternal soul? How shall we if we're dead to sin, continue any longer there. And we have this relationship with God through Jesus Christ. And so in chapter six, he gives us three really important concepts uh, to reckon. That's a good Southern word, reckon. I'm from the Ozarks. I, I actually come from the same area as the Beverly Hillbillies. So that kind of tells y'all what, what we toted ourselves down here to the church house today. But uh, he reckoned, we reckon ourselves dead to the consequence of sin. We yield ourselves to the spirit and we obey the words that we see in the word of God. What a great recipe for who we find ourselves in Christ. Not sinners that sin more, but who live out this great position we have in Christ. And then in chapter seven, oh my goodness. This is where all the struggle comes. Remember that, oh wretched man that I am, who shall deliver me from this body of death? Do you, do you fight your sin nature? Anybody here still sin after you got saved? Oh man, what a bunch of sinners, hypocrites. I can't believe, no, that's where all of us are, isn't it? And chapter eight, we stand not condemned, but the way that we have victory over this is not by a legalistic code or bucking up and doing better about it, but actually by living in this love relationship with God. Uh, there's, there's all these kind of things in chapter, uh, one of them is uh, all things work together for good. We sang about that. To those that love God are called according to his purpose. Uh, verse 32 says, uh, if God spared not his own son, but delivered him up for us, how shall he not through him also freely give us all things? And then in verse 36, it's, is that, a, that is like killer, man. Who shall separate us from the love of God? And he gives us an entire laundry list of every kind of thing, angels, death, you know, just absolutely, you just throw it out there. Nothing separates us from the God, love of God because he died on the cross, was buried and rose again, just like we got through singing about it. In chapters nine through 11, oh man, this is where it kind of gets complicated because uh, it's not, Jews are saved the same way as Gentiles. And so Paul stands back and looks at the Jewish believers and says, man, this has been a lot to adjust for you. Some of you are not saved. And he, and he just gets really real and he says, I'd be willing, I'd be willing to go to hell. I, myself accursed if my brethren would be saved, but they're living in darkness. And God, because of that, has turned to the church and started this new, new way of reaching the world. Uh, can I tell you the Bible is true? Did you know that already? But it's true because the cool part is uh, there's still the Jewish race around 
And God is still using them. He's still got a plan for them. And also the church exists. You know, the church did not exist until Jesus started it. You know, there's some people that say that Jesus didn't even exist. Well, look at the people that are connected to him are still worshiping, you know, get a grip. And so in chapters 9, 10, and 11, he says, well, God turned his back on Israel so that he could use the church and the Gentiles to reach the gospel. And they're going to do a great job. We're not doing the best, but we are doing a job. We're getting the gospel places like this and like the Back Bay Renewal, Life Source Renewal. Uh, they're giving the gospel out on a regular basis. And then he says, but when the rapture comes, when, when church is taken away, God will use the Jewish race and they will turn back to him. And that's what the book of Revelation talks about with 144,000. And the greatest evangelistic revival the world has ever seen will happen when those Jews come to know Christ. They'll not think about their 501k, their retirement. They will abandon everything and get the gospel out. And people that trust him, many of them will die. Most of them will die for their faith in Christ. That's in the book of Revelation. That's what 9, 10, 11 is about. In chapter 12, he says, I beseech you, therefore... Look at all that, that you commit, you make your body a living sacrifice, wholly acceptable in him, which is your reasonable service. And then he gives us a list, a few verses down of some spiritual gifts that we have. And I hope you know your spiritual gift and you're using your spiritual gift. You might be teaching Sunday school. You might be working in the parking lot. You might be an usher. There's a hundred of you doing something out there. And that's a really good thing. Then he gets to chapter 13, and that's what I drew. That's the, that's the card I drew. So are you, are you ready to take God's word and figure out what it's supposed to be in your life today? Now, let me just kind of give you one other thing. The first eight chapters of, of the book of Romans are doctrinal. And the last eight chapters, which is Paul's mantra, he normally does that. Uh, half of the book is doctrinal and then the second half is practical or the extrapolation of those ideas. So you'll see that in Ephesians. The first three are really complicated doctrinal malaise. The last three chapters are the outworking of that. Same thing happens in Colossians, Philippians, um, and it happens in Romans as well. So in chapter 13, it's no doubt that this is going to be a very practical application of what we've seen in our relationship with Jesus Christ and with other people. So let's just jump into it. So let's read the first four chapters, uh, first four verses of chapter 13. And let me just kind of tell you, because every sermon works a little different. Uh, the first part of my sermon is about like this long. Okay, that's my first point. And you're going to say, man, that was such a short point. This guy's going to get done so fast. He, it's going to be over before it starts. Okay. But no, the, my second point is like that long. Okay. So when I get to the first point, don't get nervous. It'll be a little longer the next point. All right. All right. So let's read the first four verses. It, this is, there are two major big ideas in 13. One is our, our relationships to authority and the second one is our relationship to neighbors. So let's read verses one through four of Romans chapter 13. Let every soul be subject unto the higher powers, for there is no power but of God, the powers that are ordained of God. Whosoever therefore resisteth the power of God resisteth the ordinance of God, and they that resist shall receive to themselves damnation. For rulers are not a terror to good works, but to the evil. Wilt thou then not be afraid of the power? Do that which is good, and thou shalt have praise 
of the same. For he is the minister of God to thee for good. If thou do that which is evil, be afraid. Be very afraid. I'm adding gilming emphasis there, okay? Uh, For he that beareth not, for he beareth not the sword in vain, for he is the minister of God, a revenger to execute wrath upon him that doeth evil. Wow, could we have not read a better passage of scripture about the world that you and I live in? What I think is interesting here is that Paul is writing to the church at Rome. Paul is actually executed in Rome. I've been to the Palatine Hill. Boston Baptist College every spring goes to Europe. Uh, This year we're going to Italy. Uh, We're going to Greece. We'll be on the Isle of Patmos. We'll also be in Rome. We'll walk the Palatine Hill where Nero stood and gave his verdicts and where he pronounced Paul to where he would either probably not even give him enough thought to really hear much of his argument, not like Festus or Agrippa. And I was probably within 100 feet, if not on the very spot where... Paul bared his neck and was savagely beheaded for the cause of Christ. And yet here Paul is not saying that he wants to start a new movement called Christians Lives Matter. (laughs) He says we need to obey authority. You know, here's the real truth of it. As long as humanity is responsible for guarding the civil rights of other humans, there will always be problems. So what do we do? Well, we really don't get any recourse. Paul doesn't say, you know, if they're acting bad, you get that right to shoot a police officer. Never, ever would he. I think it's unconscionable what's happening like that. But he does give us kind of some ideas. And in 1 Timothy chapter 4, if you want to, chapter 2, excuse me, if you want to turn there, if you're quick, uh, you can find that. It gives us some examples about what we should do for those who are in authority. I exhort you, therefore, verse 1, chapter 2, 1 Timothy, that you first of all, that, that first of all, supplications, prayers, intercessions, and giving of thanks be made for all men, for kings and for all that are in authority, that we may lead a quiet and peaceable life in all godliness and honesty, for this is good and acceptable in the sight of God, our Savior, who will have all men to be saved and to come into the knowledge of the truth. So, what do we do? We pray for those who are in authority. You know, I've seen, I've seen so many newsreels on Baltimore. I've, I saw the response in the paper of how they have reports of police officers not not behaving well, of Festus report, of Dallas, all these. And you know, could I just be really honest with you? I never prayed for any of those. I just thought that's terrible. And yet Paul is telling us not only to be under the authority of those who he has placed, but for us to give intercessions and supplications and prayers. Let me tell you, the fancy word for those is actually to say, Lord, please allow the officers to not get emotionally bent in this and misbehave and destroy the integrity of police officers. Wouldn't that be a great prayer? 
Lord, please allow these who are in, in positions to stop riots to not be racially motivated. Wouldn't that be a good prayer? Lord, please allow our politicians to not use this for a way to get reelected, but to act like statesmen and stand in our stead to make this a safe place. And guess what? When that happens, the Bible says in 1 Timothy chapter 2, that the payoff is that we live a quiet and peaceable life. Now, isn't that worth having? Yeah, you get that through prayer. So Romans chapter 13 says, obey authority. Now, let me just kind of say one quick thing about that. You need to obey authority. You shouldn't steal. You shouldn't rob. Um, you should be respectful and polite uh, because they have, they have wrath that they can do that's right from God against you. Could I also say this, that if you live right and you honor, you're not afraid. That's the other side of that. I didn't go home last night and shut the door and say, I hope the police don't come today and search my house for drugs. <laughs> you, know, you know why? Because I don't have drugs in my house. I, I'm, living, I'm living right and I'm not afraid of them. But you know what? If you're gonna rob a place, you should be very afraid because the, those that are police officers are coming after you. Be very, very afraid. Well, there's another reason it says in, in verses four through seven, let's look at it. Uh, let's start in five. Wherefore, he must be able, he, we, I'm sorry, therefore, ye must needs be subject, not only for wrath, but also for conscience sake. For this cause, pay ye tributes also, for they are God's ministers attending continually upon this very thing. Render therefore, render, boy, that's a, that's a hard word. We don't use render every day in our, in our words, do in our in language. It, it means actually pay or submit. Uh, it also means supply or provide. So uh, pay, therefore, all their dues, tribute to whom tribute is due, custom to whom custom, fear to whom fear, honor to whom honor. Could I kind of give you the Ken Gilming uh, translation of that? pay your taxes and your government fees. It does not say that you have to love it. <laughs> Man, are those over the top sometimes? Ugh. But I pay them. Pay your taxes, your government fees, honor those who represent you, respect their position. That's what we're to do. For conscience sake. Uh, we had this lady coming by, uh, running for office to be a representative in our district. And I talked with her. I said, I am over the top pro-life. I don't know if that goes very well in New England, but I just want to tell you who I am. She goes, I am too. And she started talking. I said, are you a believer? And she goes, I am. Are you a Christian too? I go, yes. And I'm going like, I hope you get elected. I want to help you get elected, you know? Because I really don't vote Republican or Democrat. I vote Christian. 
And up here, it's hard to find a Christian in, in politics, isn't it? We should change that so that we can be praying for a Christian brother or sister. Wouldn't that be incredible to happen? Man. So that's kind of, that's the first part of my message. I'm pretty much done with that first point. Okay, are you all right? You hanging with me? Okay, let's go, let's go to part two. All right, okay. Our relationships with our neighbors. Um, Let's read this passage, verse eight. Owe no man anything but to love one another, for he that loveth another hath fulfilled the law. For this thou shalt not commit adultery, thou shalt not kill, thou shalt not steal, thou shalt not bear false witness, thou shalt not covet. And if there be any other commandment, it is briefly comprehended in this saying, namely, thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. Love Worketh no ill to his neighbor, therefore love is the fulfilling of the law. Newsflash, this is not the first time this is given in the Bible. In fact, this is not a new idea at all. Luke chapter 10 is probably the master's level degree of being a good neighbor. It's called the Good Samaritan. Have you ever heard the story? If you've been around church for any length of time, probably heard that one. There was another one in Mark 12. Uh, this guy that was rich uh, came to Jesus wanting to justify himself. And, and he said, uh, I've done all these. And this is probably what Paul is referring to because Jesus brought that same kind of list out. It wasn't a full list of the Ten Commandments, but it was a partial list. And you remember the guy, he goes, oh, I've done that since I was just a kid. I, man, I've got it, you know. And Jesus said, well, you know, you got to love your neighbor as yourself. You know what you need to do? Sell everything you have and give it to the poor and follow me. And the Bible says that he went away sorrowful because he had a lot of money. Well, that's, that's another part of this. And in Galatians chapter 5, it talks about it. Matthew chapter 22, uh, Matthew 19, I, I said Mark 12. This, this, is not a, this is not a new idea. It's probably not a new idea to you that the two major commandments, if you want to sum them all up, the Pharisees asked Jesus, he said, well, that's simple. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind. And love your neighbor as yourself. You do that, you're, you're close to the kingdom. And that's, that's right where I left it. I'm a, I'm a good neighbor. I mean, turn to your spouse and say, you're a good neighbor. You know that? You do neighborly things. And that's where I was. I mean, I got coffee for the guys in, in the other cubicle. Uh, I, I, I'm pretty kind to everybody else. Uh, the one guy on the other side, he's like, hey, bro, how you doing, neighbor? Uh, the other one is like, hey, man. You know, I keep them separate. That's hey, man. And this is hey, bro. Uh, I do a lot of neighborly things. But here's the problem. If we classify as everybody is our neighbor, then we get to kind of pick who we want to be neighbors to. Because really, there's no way I can be a neighbor to everybody. If, if that was the commandment of God... Well, there's so many people within a mile of here that need something, we could never get it all done. So what happened was I was saying everybody was my neighbor, but I really kind of got to pick and choose who I wanted to be a neighbor to. But really the, the great, the good Samaritan story is not about 
everybody being your neighbor, but is the one closest to you that is in need who is your neighbor. Does that make sense? Because see the Levite and the priest, they walk by and this guy was half dead. And they're like, man, if I touch that guy, I can't serve in my office up at, in Jerusalem. I'm not, I'm going to walk on the other side. But it was the Samaritan that helped this poor guy. And he said, well, who's his neighbor? And he goes, well, I, I guess the Samaritan, really the Samaritan. I mean, he's not even culturally accepted in our world. So it's really kind of who is close to you. So. We're going to do this uh, kind of low tech kind of a thing that professors like to do. You guys want to come up and do a whiteboard for me? Okay. Uh, you're going to have to kind of, I, I want you to take out a piece of paper, get your bulletin. Um, and I want you to do something. Uh, how many of you are doodlers? Okay. Then this will be right up your alley. Thanks guys. It's Matt, right? Is that Matt? And huh? Gonzel. Yonzel, Yonzel. If you guys will see my wife, she has money to give you. All right? All right. This is the second time they've done this. So uh, they didn't know about this the first time. So, okay, I want you to draw your neighborhood. Okay? Now, for some of you, if you live in an apartment house, it's going to kind of look like this. This is your house. And then, you know, four doors down this way. And, the eight closest people to you, okay? If you live in an apartment, that's what it will look like. If, you, if you're jacking the beanstalk, it's gonna kinda look like that. No, it's, you, none of you live there, okay? Uh, if you live in a farm, it can be a little more complicated and it's like a mile between you and the next neighbor. But for me, this is what it looks like. This is Park Street. This is uh, Atwood. That's the street I live on. Seven Atwood. Let's see, about right there. This is Ken and Shirley. This is our house. This is the go zone right here. Okay. Okay. So are you doing your job? I'm the professor. Are you participating? Okay, all right. Uh, okay, this is Ellen. She owns the house. She's my next door neighbor. Uh, she's 87. And living above her is Mike and Jill and Mikey. He stays half the time because they just got married last year and he's 14. And they've got a little son, a new son that's uh, Henry. Then over here is uh, Mike and Tara. Pretty much, if you say Mike in our neighborhood, somebody's going to probably come, okay? Then this is uh, Rose and Frank. Boy, that was a very poor Frank. Okay. And this is... Ed, and I don't know his wife, uh, and Eddie, and they have two other kids. I don't know their names. These people are new, 
probably six months. And then the people on the corner, and this is Kevin. See, what I'm trying to do is I'm trying to build brownie points because I know people that aren't really in those eight, and that's what you're going to do, right? That doesn't count. Kevin does not count on your eight, all right? Then this is Eric and Mo, but they're not my next-door neighbors. Then this guy is, he's the old widower guy. His wife died a couple years ago. I've lived here for three years. If you want to Google this, you can actually see my house now if you, if you do that with your phone, but don't do it in church. Okay, okay, so, uh, so I don't know his name. I don't know these people or these people or these people. I know Mark and Deborah. I don't know and nothing. Zero. So how'd you do? Could it be that Jesus meant when he said, love your neighbor, that your actual neighbors are included in that? Or was that just, oh, you know, like other people? I think, you, let me just kind of tell you the statistics on it. If you know your eight neighbors that are closest to you, your crime rate is 80% less. You know, Jesus is smart. He's got it figured out. This is the way it should be that we know people around us. But in my go zone, I've got some work to do. This is the one probably that bothers me, bothers me the most because I talk to her and if you've, it, we've only lived there three years, but if you've lived somewhere for 20 years and you don't know them, it's really going to be uncomfortable to say, you know, I know we've been neighbors for 20 years, but I don't even know your first name. That's where you kind of look on the public records and find it or something like that. Uh, and you'll say, I'm Ken. And they go, yeah, I know. And you're like, I'm really not very good, am I? And so I need to work with that. So how did you do? How many of you know the eight people that live closest to you? Would you raise your hand if you, if you made on the list? Wow, I'm impressed. How many of you are like me, you know, like half of them? Would you raise your hand? Okay, maybe 40% half of us are there. We've got some work to do, don't we? To love our neighbor as ourself, to care about those people. Well, um, you say, well, knowing their names isn't that big a deal. That doesn't make me a good neighbor. Okay, I don't write love songs and I don't write poems. But, you know, it's hard to tell somebody you love them if you don't even know their name. All right, so I think that's kind of like where it starts, okay? So I'm not letting you off the hook on this. You ought to at least begin to know people's names. Not hey you or hey man or bro, you know. So I want to challenge you this morning. Find out who your neighbors are. Invest in them. Now, I know those who are your neighbors would be your family members. Absolutely. Because they're the closest to you and you should be ministering to them. And it's great. And you are neighborly to help and get coffee for people at work and to stop on the side of the road and help that person that's broken down. But could I just tell you this? Here's the truth of it. When he had the, the Good Samaritan story, you didn't get to 
pick who to be neighborly to. And the truth is, some of our neighbors can be fairly odd. Am I, am I right about that? Now, Rose and Frank, I said Rose and Frank where all the others I had the guy first. It's because Rose likes to talk. Do you have a neighbor that's the talking neighbor? And she came over to our house with zucchini the other day, uh, Friday, Thursday. And uh, I showed her we've been doing some remodeling and things like that. And she goes, let me touch your hands. Your hands are so wonderful hands, you know. She's about 70, so she wasn't hitting on me or anything like that. Uh, Frank's a real, and you know what? They talk about going to church. We go to church every Sunday morning and we have community group at our, at our house. And so we have people over from our church. And so we're known in the neighborhood as being the church people, you know, like, but not like uh, Flanders with the Simpsons, you know, it's, it's a good thing. We're not a bad thing. And in fact, Mo said to, Marie said to Eric, he asked me to go golfing with him on Sunday at 10 o'clock. And she goes, Mo, I, she goes, Eric, they go to church on Sunday. Stop that, you know? And so there's, we kind of still already have that reputation. But what would happen if you started investing not only in your kids' lives and people at work, but the people that were the closest to you? I, I kind of stumbled on this because I'm not the best neighbor. You know who taught me how to be a good neighbor? It's Mark and Deborah. Mark and Deborah, Deborah might be a believer. Mark, Mark, uh, he has seven sacraments he has to do, and he's not really good with doing them, but he's going to do the best. You, you know who I'm talking about? And, and yet his faith in Jesus alone is not there. But I was building a deck out, and he gave me his sawzall to use, his hammer drill, about everything he had he's willing to help, help me. Even got, even got this neighbor guy to come over and look at it and said, you know, I don't know if he's building it good enough. And that guy said, well, I'm, I'm a builder. He's overbuilding on that. And I felt really good about how good a builder I was on that. And uh, Mark's had us over. Mark's talked to us. Mark's got heart trouble. Deborah is a great... Deborah makes this biscotti that is to die for. I'm just telling you. Uh, they went to, they went to Chicago, Chicago, and they asked us to watch their cats. Let me just tell you this: when you watch people's cats, you're you're in the inside, because cat people just don't let anybody watch their cats. So we watched their cats. And that's their babies. They don't have any. Uh, Mark's got a daughter from another marriage, and she just had a baby. He tells me all about it. Do you guess what? I'm, he's not just, hey, bro, that's Mark and Deborah. We're going to build a, a gate between us. They're just renting, but we're going to build a gate between us so, because it's harder to, we're kind of up the hill, and they're kind of, and, and we're, we're getting older. And so, do you guess what? We got it going on in our neighborhood. We really do. Um, that's the way Jesus said. And you know what? I feel good about, uh, guess what? If, if something, they know enough about what's going on in my life that if somebody was breaking into my house, I think they'd even know. You know, that's where it comes to that 80% less crime thing going on. But I don't know, I, I've given Mike and Tara I've given the, the plan of salvation to Mike and uh, 
he's, he's just, he's quiet. Now, Rose is talking to him as Mike is quiet. And uh, she volunteered Ed to come help me. <laughs> so I should know her name anyway. But what would happen in your neighborhood if you knew all eight people and you were actually friends with them? Now, some of them, let's just be really straight up. They don't want anybody in their life. Am I right? But some of them are hurting. Mike, uh, he's a truck driver. His wife, Jill, is a hair salon. And he doesn't get a lot of work lately. And he's very talkative and he's hurting. And Mikey, his son, is plays soccer. And when I told him when he makes varsity, I'm going to come watch him. I'm telling you, I got an instant friend, immediately uh, a friend in him. It really doesn't take much for some of them to really be good friends. Mark and Deborah have come to church with us at Renewal Church. Is that pretty cool? My back neighbors went to church with me now. I'm a good neighbor at that point, right? But you know what? If I didn't even know his name, I'd never get him to church. Do you see, I've got, I have some relational bridges to build so that the gospel can be carried across that. So what happens if the hundred families in this church reach all eight around, that's about 800 homes. Now you're moving the needle on, on the cause of Christ here, right? This isn't just play stuff here. And, and let me just tell you, this is not optional stuff. If you sum up the whole thing, it's love the Lord God your, with all your heart, your soul, and your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. This isn't, you don't get out of this. I, I can't back down. I gotta be honest with the word of God. And I've gotta tell you, you need to be a good neighbor. I need to be a good neighbor. Not just for my benefit, but for their benefit, for the cause of Christ, for the change in this world. Is our world messed up? We began to do that to impact this world where God put us. And let me just say this one last thing. We'll get to the, to the last part of this. Why are you living where you're living? It's because you can't afford to live in another, the big gated community. You know what? I think God put you where you are to be a neighbor to the people in your neighborhood. How cool is that? And if Lifesong members were good neighbors, I think you'd have a huge impact in the Cherry Valley area, amen? Last, last big idea here. What if I was a good neighbor what would eternity look like if I was a good neighbor? How many of you believe there's a real heaven? Would you raise your hand? Real, I mean like physical, like this real. Like when I draw Boston, I have a capital B because it's a proper noun place. When I draw, when I write heaven out, I use a capital H because I really believe there is a real heaven. I have Real, real friends. I've got a son who was killed when he was 18 years old in heaven. I really believe I'll see him again. I really believe that with all my heart.
And I believe this book says that Jesus Christ literally rose from the grave. We, we sang about it, didn't we? And you know what? The book of Romans lays it out. It lays out what this church believes. You know, when you do what the Bible says, you look like the Bible and you look like Romans, don't you? Your church does. Well, I think my neighbors will spend eternity somewhere. And I don't, I don't have a call on this, but would it be pretty incredible in the new heaven and new earth if my earthly neighbors were also my eternal neighbors? How cool would that be if Mark and Debbie were in heaven with me and I had a chance to be such a good neighbor that they came to, to faith in Jesus Christ. Is that enough for you to work on today? Or, or do you want me to go longer and more? <laughs> Let me just read this last per portion of scripture because it really kind of sums it all up. It says this. And that knowing the time that now is high time to wake out of sleep, for now is our salvation nearer than we believed. The night is far spent, the day is at hand. Let us therefore cast, the works, cast out the works of darkness and let us put on the armor of light. Let us walk honestly as in the day, not in wanting and rioting and drunkenness, not in chambering and wantonness, not in strife and envying. But put ye on the Lord Jesus Christ and make not provision for the flesh to fulfill the lust thereof. Now's the time. Now's the time to start being a good neighbor. Uh, you can do like what I've done. And you know what? This is a hard sermon to preach because I've preached it myself all week long. Now's the time you need to start being a good neighbor. Start caring about people around you. Some of you have, for one reason or another, have some kind of brokenness in your neighborhood. You're the, you're the only person, if you know Christ, that really is that bridge to that. You can help fix that. What do you think about that? Wouldn't that be an incredible thing? Let's pray. Lord, your word is so practical. We are to obey authority or we need to be very afraid because they're coming after us. We need to obey authority for our conscience sake and respect and honor those that are representing us. Lord, we also need to love our neighbors. That includes people at work, that includes people in our family, the people that are close to us, that are right in front of us, that have needs. But Lord, it also means the people that live within 20 or 30 feet of us or 50 yards or a half a mile. And you have strategically placed us in. And that is our go zone. That's where we start to be good neighbors. And I pray right now and right here, Lord, that you would open up relationships in these neighborhoods of people that come to this church so that they would be better neighbors than non-Christians. That people would become with such a reputation that Life source, life source church members are such good neighbors. They'd say, you must go to that church. They're such good neighbors. We thank you, Lord, that you're leading us and teaching us how to live for you. In the book of Romans, in Jesus' name we pray, amen.